and a great day to you wherever and whenever you may be listening. My name is Jason Dyes, broadcasting and podcasting live from the studio of EloquentOnline.net in beautiful New Braunfels, Texas, Republic thereof. This is the Power Performance Podcast, the show that asks the question, if your banking brand were a band, would you leave the audience wanting more, staying close and connected to your locality, staying intentionally engaged with your community is a great way to leave the audience wanting more. And the team at Williamstown Bank in West Virginia, yes, we're going back to West Virginia, is putting on a master class in that. And so we're going to be talking to their conductor, the president and CEO of the bank today, Sharon Anderson, who is making history. Yes, it took us 13 years to get to West Virginia. And when we had Lee Milam on the show, and his is now the fourth most listened to show in the history of this program, 13 years of shows, I started getting a lot of friend requests, LinkedIn requests, and meeting people from West Virginia. And so we got a lot of new friends in West Virginia, but in this particular case, Sharon Anderson is another First, we have over 700 and some odd episodes, and so I was scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. We've had a lot of presidents of credit unions on the show that are women, but I don't think we have ever had a female president of a community banking brand on the show, and so I am excited. I tried to scroll through every show going back to March of 2010. Sometimes we just had the, it was just called, you know, the, the banking show, episode seven. So, I, But I'm almost certain that Sharon is the first female president of a community banking brand, a bank, for-profit bank, and it's a great interview, and so I want to get to it, and we're going to do it all right after this. For over 13 years, conference quality information without the rubber chicken dinner, the flight delay, and without the expense report. This is the one and only Power Performance Podcast. headed back to West Virginia. I think I might just do all of my shows from West Virginia now. I've done some research, and Sharon Anderson, President and CEO of Williamstown Bank. Sharon, you are, in fact, the first female president of a community bank we have ever had in 13 years of doing this show. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I think that that's a pretty tough bill to fill, being the first that female is president amazing. and CEO. It is a banking show, and we've had well over 100 CEOs of credit unions, community credit unions, no doubt about that. And I've got to ask you, I mean, is it a reflection on me? Have I not been doing enough research? Is it a reflection <laughs> on banking in general? It, it has been my experience, however, Shara, that working in both worlds, going to a large banking conference, going to a large credit union conference, I do find more female CEOs on the on the credit union side of things. Is that something that you notice in, in being in banking as long as you have? 
You know, I've been with Williamstown Bank for 21 years now. I'm starting my 22nd year. And I would say that, especially probably earlier on, that that would be, I, I would say the same thing. I would oftentimes go to conferences right. and you would not see the same maybe number of, of females or women in executive or senior management roles. But I do think that that tide is turning, and I think actually West Virginia is a great state that shows that as an example. You know, I can sit here and probably name six or seven women president wow. CEOs of community banks in West Virginia. So I think that, I want to talk yes, to it, maybe took us, <laughs> yeah, it maybe took us a while to – to, to catch up, but I do think that the tide is turning, and I think that it just brings so much more to the table. It's just a nice blend of, of male and female, and, you know, I'm glad that West Virginia is kind of leading the way in, in making that happen. Well, let's talk about that. You're entering your 22nd year. Nobody walks into the bank on the first day and is given the job as president. So tell us about that first job you had in banking way back when. Well, I actually started with Williamstown Bank the summer before my senior year of college. I was needing a job, as most college students do, and at that time I was going to a, a school in Tennessee, and so I just needed something for the summer. I was going to be finishing college in December um, on campus that year, so you know, I wasn't going to be graduating until the following May. I was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do, and it actually worked out that I was called, I had put in at a, a temp agency and Williamstown Bank called and needed a part-time receptionist. They were um, having trouble finding someone that would, you know, be able to answer the phone and, and do the things that needed to be done with that job. So I thought, well, this will get me through the summer. And at the end of the summer, after working as a part-time receptionist, and they knew that I was going to be returning back home in December after the fall semester, they asked if I would be willing to come back full-time. And I thought, well, you know, I don't graduate until May. I'm not sure what I want to do. I thought I wanted to teach. This will give me an opportunity to figure that out. And 21 years later, I'm still at Williamstown Bank. <laughs> <laughs> but you're not the receptionist anymore. You're the no, president of no, the bank. I just, exactly. You know, they say, they say in a great Hollywood movie or a great novel, the character, the main character, has to have this amazing arc, this trajectory. And that's just mm -hmm. fascinating to me. You're one day you're the part-time receptionist, and I'm <laughs> yeah. sure it's you. It's gone by very, very quickly. And I'm, I'm beginning to think perhaps somehow um, we're related because I, I had the same experience, the absolute same experience in terms of I thought I was going to be a teacher. I got a degree yeah. in American history and thought that's I would That's my teach degree, and too. Up, <laughs> yeah, and ended up ended up working in training, which ended up in banking, which ended up in a career in professional speaking, and now I'm doing this, bothering busy people like you to join us on the nation's longest-running, greatest banking podcast in the history of the galaxy. Let's talk about some of the coolest things you guys are doing. I, I, I am no stranger to this. In fact, I've done two shows about banking brands that have converted part of their physical space to a Starbucks or some kind of coffee cafe, but you've put a very cool twist on this. One of the neatest things I've ever seen. You've got to tell us all about the giving cup. Absolutely. You know, the giving cup, we, we got the idea. I wish I could say that it was our original idea. We actually got the idea from another bank, um, you know, years ago, and it, we just sat on it for a while. And 
Back in 2019, we had the opportunity to purchase a what was a former BB&T, now Truist, building. You know, as is the case in many rural areas, the larger banks are closing their branch locations and leaving a lot of those rural areas without a banking presence. And so when we had that opportunity to purchase that, we, we wanted to do something different. We're very community-oriented. Community we very much are involved in giving back to our community. So the, the concept is really twofold. You know, first of all, how can we find a unique way to give back to our community that really makes a lasting impact? But also in this age of digital banking, especially post-COVID, with the rise of online banking and mobile deposit and and all of the conveniences that customers have, as a community bank, how do we still have the ability to build those one-on-one -on -one relationships that keep those customers loyal? And how do we drive them into our facilities? So the Giving Cup really was something that allowed us to do both with the idea of a donation-based coffee shop. You know, customers or non-customers, they don't have to be customers, can come in. They can get their pick of any quality Starbucks type beverage. You know, I believe it's actually better. We use a small roaster <laughs> out of Ohio that nice. I feel is just top notch. And rather than buying your coffee like you would at any of those other coffee shops, you make a donation to one of our currently we've got four nonprofit beneficiaries and as a thank you for your donation, we give you your drink of choice, whether it be a latte, an espresso, the frozen drinks with all of the peanut butter and chocolate that you can want, you know, so, so it was really our way to, you know, let's drive some of these, especially again, you know, you have a, a, old, you know, we live in a rural area that tends to be, you know, aging some in population. How do we stay relevant and, and viable as a community bank? Well, coffee is very much a trendy thing right now, and it, and it has helped us you know, impact our community. We've, you know, been open. We opened in February of 2020, not the best time to open. And then, you know, actually wow. that location, we had to lock our lobbies, close our lobbies like a lot of banks did yeah. due to state shutdown orders. And that was about the first 10 months that that office was open. But we came out with curbside coffee, curbside banking, things that tried to nice. still draw people in. And we're almost at, we're approaching the $25,000 mark that has gone back to these local 100% of the donations wow. received at the Giving Cup go back to our nonprofit beneficiaries, and we feel like that's just a lasting impact that we can have in our in our community. I think it's I think it's wonderful. The uh, it's funny you said February 2020. It was in February of 2020 that I was contemplating a return to the road as a corporate keynote. Speaker, and it was going to be about the four great inventions in human history, the compass, gunpowder, paper, and printing, all of which occurred in the Song Dynasty in China. So it was not the best time to go out on the road since every conference was shut down. And I'm not sure anybody wanted to hear about anything coming from China in the spring, summer of 2020. Exactly. So I'm glad you guys survived all of that. Now, I've got to tell you a two-part question. You have an elegant, beautiful brand, gorgeous mm -hmm. branch design, and great social media energy, and I want you to tell us about that, but when I saw the picture of your reimagined space 
online, my first thought, since I had already gotten to know you a little bit through email, was that's a woman's touch. I mean, a woman conceives that. <laughs> is, is, that offen- is it offensive to say that? You know, I, I, don't, I don't think it's offensive to say that. I think, you know, we sometimes tend to think about things differently. But the thing that I think is important in all of that is, you know, having the buy-in from the board level down in, in these times where we're trying to evolve and, and adapt and be what our community needs us to be and be what we need to be to be, you know, still here as a community bank 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, it really takes buy-in and, and innovation from the top down. And so, you know, knowing that our board allows us to, you know, take some of these, you know, ideas and run with them, that is something that I think can't be talked about enough and is important for maybe other banks to understand that, you know, I can have all the ideas, whether I'm female or male, all day long, but if I can't get the buy-in and the support from those around me, then those ideas are just dreams. And so, yeah. you know, I think it's very important that we're able to, you know, see the needs that our community has and see how banking is changing and then adapt ourselves so that we can be, you know, what, what those, service those needs that we have in our community. You know, you've mentioned this word a couple of times, community. Uh, it is mm-hmm. obvious. All you have to do is spend some time on your website or in your social media sites. The community involvement is clearly part of your brand's DNA. You've been with the bank mm-hmm. for 21 years. That means that predates in many ways just online banking and bill pay, mm-hmm. certainly all of the social media and all of the mobile banking and everything else that we've heard about. But with all the technology and blockchain and crypto this and all this high-speed technology stuff that we've witnessed the evolution of, one incontrovertible truth continues to endure, and that is locality still matters, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, last year you talked about, like, the eloquent brand and the branching and, and, you know, the the different concepts that we've, you know, the social media, the things that we've been working on the last couple years. And really, um, again, it's, it's part of that evolution. You know, we realized last year that, uh, you know, our logo was over 20 years old. It was low, older than I, my time here at the bank. And, you know, we can't be sitting here touting, you know, interactive teller machines and donation-based coffee shops and our online banking services, a lot of these things that people don't realize banks our size can provide if our logo and look is outdated because the first impression is everything. And so we've really worked hard to, you know, create a look that shows the history of the foundation, you know, of community-based relationship-first banking with the convenience and the expectations that customers have today. But I think you hit it exactly on the head. You know, at the end of the day, anyone can buy a car from Carvana or they can get a loan maybe through Rocket Mortgage or they can go to Capital One or some of these places online. But when you have a problem, you want to talk to a live person. You want to be able to know that that person on the end of the phone knows your situation, that if you need a loan, they can work with you based on your situation, you know, a local lending decision, not based on some algorithm or some concrete village, you know, hundreds of miles away that has in no way any kind of um, knowledge of what's going on in our community. And I feel that that's where community banks can really thrive 
is, you know, offering those conveniences and, and making sure that customers understand that we can do all of that same stuff that the larger banks do, but that we do it with a level of one-on-one -on -one relationship that you're not going to get anywhere else. And we're going to help you solve those problems and answer those questions. We're not selling your mortgage loan to five different companies and you don't know who to call right. when you have a question. So I think locality is important. And, you know, in West Virginia, you know, you've done some podcasts, you know, with Lee and, and myself. And in West Virginia, one thing that we've seen is the larger banks leaving communities right. without a bank. And, you know, the community banks are the ones trying to fill those gaps and fill those voids. And, you know, the idea that we're, we live and work and play and go to church in the same community you do, we understand what's needed, the services, and we try to very much support those within the community, and you're just not going to get that from a larger organization or an online entity. No, you're not. You made such a good point. I sat up and put my foot down and, and pulled the uh, microphone speaker out of the studio. <laughs> so thank you for continuing the way you did. Uh, you, you, nobody, nobody would know I'd made that mistake if I hadn't just admitted it. You know, I did want to ask you about that because I've said to many people here on the show, now that it's three years in, I mean, this, this spring will be three years since this whole COVID nightmare started, mm -hmm. And some people seem very intent upon keeping it going, but I'm convinced that on Easter weekend, 2020, community banks, specifically community banks, not the big guys, not credit unions, community banks saved this country from a Great Depression when they figured out the PPP loan program without the benefit of a conference, without the benefit of a YouTube video. And I just don't think the big banking trades and the ICBA and the state associations took, uh, took the opportunity to remind people this is why community banks are invaluable. I would love mm -hmm. your thoughts on that. You know, I feel like, um, I, I do feel like, especially from the ICBA level, that they, you know, really focus that, you know, on their messaging on, on just the importance of the, not just the PPP loans. You know, we had, for example, you know, we made the decision, decisions at Williamstown Bank to, um, you know, we, we didn't feel it was right to charge overdraft fees to customers who are out of right. work because things out of their right. control or, you know, the idea of not just the PPP, you know, per, you know, per payment protection programs, but also the deferrals and working with our customers who are affected by these job losses. And, and I feel right. like that has helped maybe turn the tide back to, and I do think that that's something we as community banks, you know, all of the things that we did during the pandemic to work with our customers and to keep our communities going is something that we should be standing on the mountaintop shouting because all of our banks were in the trenches. You know, community banks as a, Absolutely. As a whole, we were working in the trenches and we were working one-on-one -on -one with our customers and, and keeping those relationships intact, you know, closing loans in our parking lot when our lobbies were closed or, you know, many that were inputting, um, you know, PPP loans at, at night. And, you know, that's just the heart of community banking and, and it's something that, you know, we should be proud of and also that we should build on. You know, we, three years later, we, we can't live in the past but we should use that as a stepping stone, you know, for the future. And, you know, I took over as president and CEO two weeks before COVID hit, you know, March 10th of 2020, wow. I had no idea that this was coming <laughs> my way. And, you know, the challenges that we as a community bank would have, 
But the thing I think that we were able to show is we're a small business too. And we were, 2020 ended up being one of our worst year ever because we made the right. decisions to pay our employees for 40 hours when they were only working 25, not charging overdraft fees, doing things that were the right thing to do from a people perspective because that's a reflection of, of who we are as a community bank. And, you know, we should be proud of that and we should continue to be proud of that and find ways as, you know, there's more challenges coming. It might not be a pandemic. It might be a recession. It might be a, right. who knows, with all of anything. the global, right. it could be anything. Yes. But <laughs> could be anything. We, very much, we very much have a message, you know, look, we're a small business. We understand how small businesses were affected. We helped you in your time of need. And, you know, we hope that you'll remember that even past the COVID, you know, now three years later and moving forward. Who, who was there to help when you needed it most? Let's imagine a, a receptionist, male or female, working part-time or somebody working part-time at a, a, a bank anywhere in the country. And things are just going to, you know, stay at this level and it's going to be so tough to make it to mm -hmm. the top. What would you tell that person if they want to sit at your desk someday? They want to be the president of that bank or a bank. What advice would you give them? You know, I think for me it's, you know, take any opportunities that you're given and understand that it doesn't happen overnight. Like you said, you can't come in one day. You know, we're in a very we've, – we've created a very, you know, now society where, you know, I want it now or I expect this or I expect that. It takes work. It takes grit. It takes – always willing to, you know, learn more and ask questions. And one of the things that I'm proud of is, you know, our team, we've got a lot of young and up-and-coming superstars that I feel could someday sit in my seat. And hmm. it's my job to train those coming up behind me just as my predecessors gave me the opportunity and trained me. You know, it's a it's, – again, it's an evolving – um, it's an evolving industry and it's an evolving place. We need new insights and new ideas and trying to create a culture that, you know, whether you're a teller or, uh, you know, someone in our call center or whatever, that you have a voice and can give insight, that that then leads to opportunities for us to teach and, and you know, give you, you know, more opportunities to grow. I feel like, you know, if you just show that you want to learn and you want to care about, you know, community banking. I'm passionate about community banking, and those are the people that I feel, you know, the door's wide open. And the industry, there's going to be a lot of people retiring in the banking industry in right. the next 5, 10, 15 years. We're looking for those up-and-coming people who are willing to learn and put the time and effort in. So I would just say, you know, having the grit to, you know, handle not just the good times but the challenging times, the ability to work as a team, and realize that at the end of the day, you know, I am only as good as my team. And so there very right. much, I feel, has to be a, a team level, a team, you have to be a team player. It can't just be about Sharon or whoever, you know, that person might be. It's very much, you know, community banking is very much a team effort. And so I would just say, you know, the door's wide open, and we're looking for those people who want to step up and, and learn, you know, you just have to put yourself out there. All right. You mentioned you were in college back in the day. So uh, when you're rolling through town, what kind of music do you enjoy? Oh, goodness. You know, I, I'm a product of, the, I mean, I'm, I'm 43. I'll put that out there. 
I I like the 80s. I listen to the 80s and the the kind of the I guess now it's sad they're calling them oldies music when you know music you listen to is now played on the oldie station. But I also you know I I really like a blend of everything. I like I like country. Yeah. I like pop. It just depends on really the mood that I'm in at that time. <laughs> Do you remember what your first concert was? Oh goodness. You know, I would probably say my first I was a huge Kenny Chesney fan. So okay, um yeah. you know, I, I have been to lots of Kenny Chesney shows and I would say that that was probably my first big concert that that I went to. So um I'm a little old school. <laughs> That's all right. He was a big name back in the day, a total hit machine back yes, in the day. Yes. And then yes. and then finally, finally, and this is a very very important question and one that I've been thinking about. Now that you've been on this show, does Lee Milam have a prayer of staying the number one most listened to show of the year? <laughs> well, I mean, we're only in January. So, you know, there's still probably a lot of good topics and visitors and guests that you are going to get to have on the show. Um, and I will say, I will just say that, you know, I think it could make for a friendly competition. Uh, between Lee and I, I know Lee well, and actually he is one of the group of, of community bankers that have been mentors for me as I've come up through the community banking space in West Virginia. So I'm grateful to call him a friend. And, you know, probably I will say if, if I can get whoever gets more listeners, maybe the other one will have to buy drinks or something. So I'm, I'm willing to make a friendly wager against Lee on that. <laughs> that sounds like but a great But I also know idea. Lee has some of the best. I listen to Lee's podcast, and, you know, Lee just has some of the best. I, I love listening to Lee talk. He's, he's insightful, and he's smart, and he's also just fun to listen to. So I don't know if I can hold a candle to Lee Milam or not. <laughs> well, we'll let the audience decide. I think you've both been absolutely dynamite. And as I mentioned before, I, I may not have any other guests from any other state than West Virginia for the balance <laughs> of the history of this show. Sharon, thank you so much. Congratulations on a career well-managed and a life well-lived. Her name is Sharon Anderson. She's the president and CEO of Williamstown Bank. I've got their website right there in the episode description. If you want to know how to add some vibe and some verve to your social media and some energy to your brand, you don't have to go to 6,000 conferences. Just do what Sharon and her team are doing. And I'm so happy to have a new friend in West Virginia, Sharon. And thank you so much for joining us on the Power of Performance podcast. Thank you so much for asking me. I greatly appreciate it. Oh, great job, Virginia. Before social media and hashtags, there was a phrase I coined for community banks. I said, out local the nationals and out national the locals. Well, the team up at Williamstown Bank is putting on a master class in this. And it was great getting to know Sharon. I invite you to visit their website. Find Sharon Anderson out on LinkedIn and just keep up with the great things that she and her team are doing. I think this is also the first time we've ever played a Kenny Chesney song on this show, so history made all around. Thank you so much for listening to the Power Performance Podcast, a show that asks the question, if your brand were a band, would you leave the audience wanting more? Until next we speak, my name is Jason Dias, and I'll talk to you all next week. Take care.